0: To the latest episode at Clean at Work. Um, this week, we are lucky to have Judy Reese, um, who was actually my first introduction to um, clean language. Uh, so I've got a lot to be grateful for Judy for, her and Olaf run a fantastic course. seems like many years ago now, I don't know how many years ago it was, um, and that was really where I got excited about clean. So I'm really uh, grateful and thankful for joining us today Judy
1: good to be here and it is a long time ago that I think it's about four years ago that uh, Mm -hmm. clean language for fragile coaches might even be five years ago Um, but yes it it was good fun and it was back in the days when we used to be able to meet each other in rooms yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember it well we met in this room it was a fantastic space and you did some work and it was you know one-on-one I said how can we do this in teams and you went This is the book, and this is who you need to go and see. And that's how I got my relationship with (laughs) Caitlin Walker after that course. so so cool. Again, thank you for for that connection. It's just bringing all those memories back. Uh, So give us a bit about how you got into CLEAN yourself, Judy, so I've just said my story. What's your story?
1: Well, I first came across CLEAN Language on an NLP, a neuro-linguistic programming course, in, I think, I've been trying to figure this out for a long time, I think 2003. Um, but that was just, oh, have a look at this. Isn't it interesting kind of moments within an NLP course. And when I really connected with clean was when I met Wendy Sullivan at an NLP practice group in Richmond, Surrey, on the outskirts of London. And Wendy was doing a presentation about clean language. And, um, yeah, it, it was all good fun, all, all interesting stuff. It happened that I was just in the process of being made redundant from, from my then job as uh, managing editor of Teletext, um, one of the one of the most profitable um, media operations in, in the UK at one time. Um, what is Facebook?
0: Teletext? Some people might not know what that is. Te-
1: teletext is a te- used to be it's sort of a precursor to the internet. It was a text service that lived on your television. You pressed certain buttons on your telly and you could find hundreds of pages of information, live updated information, news, sport, racing results, stock prices, all that kind of stuff. And while people imagined that it was created by automatic gnomes, it, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> there were actual human journalists writing this stuff. Um, and um, for a time, I was uh, one of the, well, well, for quite a long time I worked there, um and uh, in various roles but but of course then along came the internet and teletext while we were well placed in at one level to move across the internet we got well confused about how to do it as so many organizations do when they find themselves in deep change Mm -hmm. and the upshot was that teletext is no longer really a thing um there is still a thing called teletext holidays on the internet but it's no longer the same same animal at all um, so I was being made redundant. I had no idea what I was going to do next. Um, Wendy was looking for somebody to help her with marketing Clean. She was running Clean Language courses three or four times a year, and she wanted some help with marketing it. And so she she came to me and she said, "Tell you what, you're to loose end. Why don't you come on this next course?" And it was September. I remember it's September, and she said, "Come on this course and attend the course for free." And then once you know what it's all about, you can uh, help me to market it. And that was the beginning of this story. Now, of course, clean language resonated deeply for me on a couple of levels um, in that. It works with metaphor as being the native language of the unconscious mind, the stuff of thought. Now, I've been aware of the importance of metaphor for a long time. My dad, when I was a teenager, was doing some really interesting research into, the metaphor into metaphor and as a result I had a lot of exposure to quite advanced thinking about the role of metaphor in thought as a teenager and as a teenager I read what was probably the book that inspired David Grove to go deeper into this thing um, metaphors we live by by Lakoff and Johnson Um, so I'd read that all those years ago and then as a news journalist I I was a local newspaper reporter before I went to Teletext um, I'd always been uh, taught that everyone has a story, everyone has a unique story, and it's up to you to help them to tell it. The The challenge isn't that they, they, they haven't anything to say. If people haven't anything to say, that's a comment on the quality of your questions, not a comment on them. So those two ideas, when linked with, the, the concept of clean language obviously I went oh yeah I can do that um, and it, it was an instant fit for me um, from what what then happened was that uh, Wendy's assistant went off long-term sick while I was still looking about me for something useful to do I ended up assisting her and then the rest is history
2: <laughs> no so like you were in the right place at the right time with the right background and it just
1: wove together it wove together it it wasn't one of those oh i must go and find myself a clean language trainer to assist <laughs> 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 because that will be my destiny <laughs> unfolding in front of me No, <laughs> so it was much more accidental than that right and um you actually
0: met david grove a few times is that right yes
1: so In that early period, while I was working with Wendy, um, one of the things she asked me to do was interview David to promote a a course that he was going to do. He'd agreed, David David Grove, you've probably heard him described as all sorts of things, a loose cannon perhaps, (laughs) Um, but for whatever reason, Wendy managed to persuade him that he would do a course, a two day training under Wendy's banner. The, the Wendy's company is called the small small change company. Um, let's not get into the metaphors behind that. But um, Wendy persuaded David to do a two day training under her banner, um, and as a way of um, selling places on that course, she said, "Why don't you interview David, and we'll put the the interview into the NLP magazine." and um, everyone will hear about it and then they'll all come on the training. Doesn't really work like that. We'll, we'll explore that perhaps in a, in a moment or two, but I did end up um, at the NLP conference interviewing David Grove. He um, put me in his whirligig um, and uh, was, was using me as a demonstration subject to show the whirligig to Wyatt Woodsmall um, outside the NLP conference in Regent's Park in London. Um, in the dark in the winter it it was fascinating (laughs) it was also deeply scary but you can read about that (laughs) if you you can look it up that that article's still online somewhere it's on my website and a couple of other places
0: is is that still the same whirly gig that's at Caitlin and Sean's house now or is that
1: I think that no it's either the same one or or the one that's at Caitlin's house was certainly previously owned by David I know there were two or three whirly gigs mm-hmm. in existence at various times, and um, I don't know which was which. And at least one of them was crashed into um, the parking barrier at Regent's College <laughs> at one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds
0: like a good story.
1: <laughs> I, I feel like we need to add a
0: picture of the whirly gig for those that have never, have yeah. never seen it. I'm not sure we'll get one with it crashed into the. <laughs>
1: the, the <laughs> I don't think a photograph exists of it crashing into the barrier.
0: Hopefully no police are watching
1: this, uh. But interviewing David, I mean, you'll read, if you read the article, um, interviewing David is not like interviewing anybody else that I've ever had to interview. Um, You just couldn't tie him down, you couldn't make him stand still. He was constantly moving, you couldn't sit him down to do something. he would just be off and be expecting you to follow him. I'd never seen that kind of behavior. And I've interviewed plenty of celebrities and pop stars and politicians. It was what, you know, from a journalistic point of view, the prima donna. I'd have nothing to do with this. Mm. If it wasn't essentially critical to my business, I'd have knocked it on the head. Wow. Mm. And he was extremely rude, outrageously rude where do and you think that same, came from um i don't i don't know as i say, i don't know him well but um it continued during this two-day training he was incredibly rude and dismissive to to the people who um to a lot of people to be honest um but i i don't think he well i'm told he didn't intend to be rude but it was just yeah the The meaning I made from it was that he was incredibly rude and very thoughtless. He was completely unaware of the impact of some of the things he was asking for. Um and I suppose, knowing what I know now and having heard a bit from Caitlin, I assume that um he expected everybody else to be able to say, Oh, when you, the night before the training, announced that you're going to need two dressmakers' mannequins, um, He expects you to say, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not actually possible to get two dressmakers mannequins in London at less than 24 hours notice when you only announced after closing time the night before. No, we're not going to do that. We're not, you know. But but that wasn't how either myself or Wendy were at that time. Mm -hmm. We got on the phones. We didn't get the mannequins.
0: So that expression of needs, right, that, that comes out in clean language work and especially Caitlin's work with systemic modeling I can see where that kind of resonated from
1: like, mm, being
0: yeah. able to kind of lead and say what you need and expect other people to be able to do the same as that,
1: mm. that that's the way I interpret it but of course other, others may have very different oh yeah <laughs> right and that's part of but the beauty said... of clean language right mm. yeah how
2: interesting that you still remain passionate about clean language after meeting its creator and having a pretty negative experience i
1: guess
2: you still felt like there was
1: yeah yeah i think the work speaks for itself the i i yeah caitlin and many other people loved they loved david grove thought he was a wonderful man and you know my experience takes nothing from that um The fact is that his work was absolutely phenomenal. The insight that went into what he did, the connection between a number of what at that time were extremely disparate elements, that a lot more people have got the, the elements lined up nowadays. So when new people, for example, from the agile world come across clean language and they say oh but that's the same as that and that's the same as that and that's the same as that and that's the same as that they think well why should, you know why is clean language surprising but what was really surprising that was that David's creative mind was able to connect those things at a day at a time when each of those things was right on the leading edge of thinking and he saw the connections put those connections together and then went right let's do this and did sufficient to um, essentially found a community and lead a community to help him make refine and develop the work
0: that's amazing Mm -hmm. i was just thinking quite a lot of our viewers kind of do agile, uh, agile coaching but also clean language coaching systemic modeling clean language training and you've got this insight from being someone's marketing expert in clean language so what's some of the secrets Judy that we can all take on board when trying to to market clean language
1: well one of the most interesting things I think about clean language is how you can use it in actually selling something now this is not marketing mm. separate out the thought of marketing but first think about the thought of selling something now we in in Reese McCann and um, in various other contexts I've done this. I use clean language to find, when I'm in a one-on-one or in a small meeting conversation to find out what people actually want. So you're modeling their desired outcome Mm -hmm. in, in the context of the conversation. You find out what they actually want and then you get to say, oh, I can help you with that or you get to say, no, that's not something I can help you with. I'll refer you. Mm. Now, when people are properly listened to in a sales conversation like that, if if you've done a lot of clean language stuff, you know that when people are asked clean questions, they typically feel very closely listened to, and they tend to trust the questioner. It's, It's a trick, but it works. The questioner, becomes a trusted friend and advocate. Uh Now, when you're in a position of selling something, of course, being a trusted friend and advocate is quite an advantage. Um, So that's sort of using a few clean language questions, not a deep and not a huge change process, not necessarily getting into much in the way of metaphor, but a few clean language questions well placed in a sales conversation can make a really big difference that's sales now expand that out to marketing which is the context, which is the process of contextualizing what you're selling marketing when it's contextualizing is about saying to the world what I've got for you is like this and it's not like that It's for people like this, and it's not for people like that. So that is the process of marketing. So the tangle that certainly Wendy and I went through, and a whole bunch of people went through a a similar period, was that they thought that clean language had to be marketed using clean language. Uh As in, you had to try not to use metaphor in your marketing. Uh. now that throws marketing for a fruit loop (laughs) (laughs) because it is almost impossible to say our product or service is like this and it's not like that our our ideal client is this like this not like that without using metaphor almost by definition it's impossible Mm -hmm. um so I think emerging from that um, reality tunnel were, was a huge relief um, and actually understanding that when we're marketing, whatever we're marketing, we need to do the, make those comparisons, have that metaphorical standing, and also to focus in particular, not on clean language, but on the benefits of clean language for that person. Hmm. So no hardly anyone is shopping for clean language. They might for example in the in the case of an agile coach be shopping for some really useful tools to use in context A context B or context C because they feel they get themselves into a bit of a tangle in those situations. So then the trick is to say well clean language can help you in context A B and C. Yeah it's yeah. a bit like that wonderfully successful tool that you use in context D, but this tool you can use in context A. Okay. Um,
0: I'm
1: can you sense. give us
2: Yeah, can you give us an example with reason we can, maybe? Like what do you like and what do you not like? That way um, people can be familiar with your business and we get an example. I
1: didn't say I was any good at this in <laughs> the
2: <relation. No. laughs>
0: <laughs> <Fair. laughs> <laughs> Let, let's take your let's take your latest wheels. initiative then. So you know the the hybrid work that you're you're currently doing. So um, yeah, in so, the marketplace, so... people see that as not oh, Judy's not doing clean anymore. She's doing um, hybrid. And so before, I, that doing I, yeah. and yeah. before that, you were doing online remote, and then before that, you were doing agile. Yeah. So
1: um, the Work that we've been doing all the way through the the lockdown period of COVID has been basically about online. How might you run workshops and highly engaging, highly participative events online? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm saying what we do is like helping you to do facilitation with lots of post-it notes and felt tips and smells and sounds and all that. It's like that. But take that online. And now I'm saying we can do all of that, and now we can do it in a hybrid context where some people are online and some people are in the room together. So the effect will be that you've got the -the in-the-room people with all their post-it notes, their sights, their sounds, their smells of coffee, the noise, the hubbub, all clustered around a board, and you're going to have an online group, Who have got lots going on and they've got social connections and they're talking to each other and they're bouncing ideas off each other and really engaged with each other. And where relevant, we can figure out ways of connecting those two groups.
0: And how does Clean help you with that then?
1: Well, there are a bunch of ways that Clean helps me with that. The main one is Clean's understanding of the spatial nature of thought, The, the where question if you use the where is question enough you know that people hold their thoughts typically their their metaphors and symbols in or around their bodies mm-hmm. now that does something to the way that people relate to each other in the room so the in in a clean setup of a, a, a symbolic a symbolic modeling conversation. Where would you like me to be mm-hmm. has relevance. People feel differently about people being physically around them. Now, just knowing that, going into a conversation about how do we do this stuff online, changes the way you think. So we can, in this conversation, we are we we're, we're, we're much closer to each other than we would be in the room we're face Uh on to each other rather than being able to stand side by side um all those kinds of things that in the room as clean practitioners we have aware of have awareness of we can bring that awareness to the online environment and start to say well we can't yet walk around each other and do all that um clever virtual reality stuff that maybe we'll be here in 10 years uh, right now we can just acknowledge that this is different acknowledge that different people have different reactions to it and help people to make themselves comfortable in this space uh, alongside using all the various tools and, and things but this there, stuff that to us as clean practitioners would be obvious, it's really not obvious to a lot of people. So things like, it makes a difference if people are able to pick up their own Sharpie and Post-it notes and manipulate these objects themselves. That's different experience from if you pick up these Post-it notes and Sharpies and you use them. That's not the same. But an awful lot of people who um, make products, you know, the murals, the mirrors, all of that kind of online whiteboard, they think, oh, well, it's fine. The facilitator does the movie. That'd be okay. But it's different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's funny you say that because that's the number one thing that I give feedback to people on. So I run an expert program for agile coaching, and facilitation is one of the modules. It's like, just be careful who's doing the work here. It's really important that as a facilitator, you're basically doing as little as possible. You're neutral. You're in that position. And you get in the group to experience and do the work. Um, and I've never really related that to being um, specifically a, something that we pick up or take for granted as a clean practitioner, so thank you for that.
1: I think it's it's one of those things that is just automatic as mm. a clean practitioner. It, it, and like so many of the ideas in clean, other people do th- similar things. It's not unique yeah. and different. Mm. Um, uh, there are lots of people out there who when in the room facilitating, if a post-it note falls from the whiteboard, they don't ju- dive in as the facilitator and put it back. That doesn't require a clean sensibility but it is part of what a clean sensibility gives you.
0: Mm. Wow. Cool, so so what's next for you then, Judy?
1: (laughs) That's a good question, but um, yeah, so bunches, so I, I get really interested in embodied cognition and the relationship between embodied cognition and online and hybrid gathering of people Uh Um, and how I'm not one of those people who likes to think themselves forward 20 years and imagine what it would be like if we had the virtual reality tools Uh I'm uh, I'm always passionate about well what can we do right now to use the tools we've got to make this stuff interesting and useful So the reason I got into um, online training facilitation and whatnot was because after, well, particularly after Wendy and I um, went our separate ways, I was trying to find a way to make a living. I wanted to teach clean language, but I couldn't for the life of me gather a group together in London. It was too expensive for people to travel for something which was pretty peripheral to their tool set. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to learn how to teach it online. At that time, we were teaching using, Google Hangouts, or sometimes we'd do stuff on Skype and mm-hmm. these kind of things. And this was in a time when people said it can't be done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It really can't be done. So now I, one of the things that all of the people involved in online gatherings have said since way before the pandemic is that hybrid gathering is much, much harder than either fully remote or fully in the room. Uh Essentially, if you're setting up a gathering of those three, uh, sorry, if you're setting up a gathering that involves people in the room, remote people, and the connection between the two, you've got three designs to do. You've got a design for in the room, you've got a design for remote, and then you've got to figure out the connection. Yeah. So I'm curious about how we can best use the tools we have, and the tools we can easily get hold of, to facilitate the connecting bit. And I'm doing that with an awareness of some of the brilliant research that is now coming out. Embodied cognition research had a, a bit of a setback. You, you may know, um, it's probably about 10 years. No, it's not as long as 10 years, but there, there was a it was really um, a series of unfortunate incidents in, in the world of embodied cognition, which set it back quite significantly. Um, and uh, you can look that up. But it's now rebounding. People are understanding that you can study the effect of physical behaviours on thoughts, and the effect of thought on physical behaviours, and discover things that are universal and things that are uniquely individual. And we can u- where we can keep our keep track of all this research because there's huge amounts of it. We can use those insights to help us to understand how best to use the tools to connect the online in the in the room it's rather a long a long spiel but i hope it made some kind of sense
0: Sounds fascinating i'm really looking forward to to seeing what comes out of that because i know um i'm just starting to go back into the office now and work with clients where some people are at home and 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 even with my clean skills um it still feels really hard and suboptimal and so mm. I'm still I think experimenting. It is not yeah
1: and it is hard and one of the clients i've been working with recently is an organization which is well it it's not known for its flexibility <laughs> <laughs> and one of the trainings i've been doing is with uh, their directors or some of their directors just basically helping them to understand how one might have difficult conversations like conversations about who's going to return to the office when and why how you might have those conversations remotely fully you know when when people aren't going to be all in you know you're not actually going to get everybody in the room together to have the conversation about whether you can get in the room together (laughs) yeah and some of the interesting stuff about that includes the fact that it's not all going to be in meetings it's not going to be in live gatherings an awful lot of that conversation online happens asynchronously where people are not all online together at the same time way back when when i was first exploring clean language um i remember we were playing with asynchronous clean language coaching Uh. what would happen if you um during the course of with the experiment i did with a guy called adam Sargent, was during the course of a working day i will send you the occasional question you'll send back your answer and we won't put a fixed time on it but during the course of the day you'll do a full coaching session and that was really interesting because of course in between the questions and the answers life was occurring right. and meaning making was then occurring mm. and i had to model what was happening even when i couldn't i had no information about what was happening which forces you to stay even cleaner mm. i think you you's yeah, cause context yeah, so you, you don't sense. have the context, so you have to um, stay clean, work out what are some of the possible things that could be happening, and then ask an even cleaner question if you can. So hanging on to, if you like, the structures, and things like Penny and James's Framework for Change, and really thinking, you know, that answer, was that problem, remedy or outcome, Uh In which case, what kind of questions should I respond with? And in noticing those written, in this case, written answers, what's the tone of that answer? Is the tone problem, remedy or outcome? Mm -hmm. And Uh actually working out how in writing you can match tone is something that we might want to consider. Mm. Yeah, any thought about that? And there's right. a really interesting book um, by a guy called uh, a woman called Erica Darwin called Digital Body Language. Now, I use the term digital body language to mean what happens when you're sitting in a square of Zoom, but what she means is how your writing comes across in email and in using Slack or WhatsApp. Uh-huh. Um, and she also talks about the you know, cultural differences and generational differences and even gender dis- differences between the way pe- people write. Now, as clean practitioners, we can quickly get our heads around that kind of notion. People are different. There are subtle differences. The subtle differences indicate differences in the way they are experienced in the world the way they're thinking about it the way they're feeling about it and as we devise our next question we we match tone by matching words and matching Mm -hmm. speeds and a whole bunch of other things that doesn't involve staring into people's eyes that's the other advantage of being a clean practitioner in the online world, is you're, n- you're used to not looking into people's eyes. <laughs> 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 um, you wouldn't believe how, how hung up people get about um, staring into each other's eyes or the fact they can't. Um, and as clean practitioners, we know that actually breaking eye contact can be really, really useful an awful lot of the time. So many nuances I'd never even thought about.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, I'm kind of speechless right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't happen very often.
1: <sighs> so let let me ask a question then. What so amongst all the stuff that I've just said, is there one thing that could be useful to you? Sarah?
2: I'm definitely thinking about tone in written language, because my team's all distributed and we talk all day via our, you know, chat client at work and to think about people's tone and then like the embodiment of the words that they're typing. I never even really thought about it other than my interpretation of what they typed. You know, so to think about it at those multiple levels, which clean does for me is it takes these little things and then it, you know, mm. blows them up and zooms in and flies all around. So you see things from different angles so it's just like applying that to text is totally a new idea so thank you for that
1: oh in that i think it's in the erica Darwin book there's a whole thing about how uh no it's not it's, it's a book called because internet there's a whole thing about how um gifs and emojis and that kind of stuff are actually a replacement for body language mm. both Intentional, obvious gesture, but also the repetitive gestures that people make without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And you can map the kind of repeat emoji thing that a lot of people do onto some of the gestural emphases that people make. Oh, wow. So you, it's could, of- you could ask a clean question like, is there anything else about heart, heart, heart? tick tick tick
0: yeah <laughs> uh,
2: makes so much sense i'm such an emoji person and i also talk with my hands so i bet it's totally the same thing
0: <laughs> it, it's one of the reasons why i'm starting to move a little bit away from zoom because the restriction in the chat you know there's not that rich kind of gif format and things mm-hmm. like that that you get in microsoft teams for example mm-hmm. um and i'm using microsoft teams with my client and it's like oh we'll just do like a gift check-in or you know you know what animal are you right now? Or any of those things that we might, might do, your elephant is like what? And you can see what different element, elephant gifts people come up with. <laughs> and then sometimes I forget and I do it in Zoom. It's like, oh, we yeah. can
1: <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I love that. It's a really nice idea that I've never thought of because I hardly ever yeah. work in teams. Um, but it's, you know, it, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You use the tools you've got. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. sit around dreaming about the tools you wish you had.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is so easy to do right um mm-hmm. i think my big reflection was thinking of the hybrid world in not just the context of that one meeting or session you're doing but as kind of a whole infrastructure with your you know whole comms that you're, you're building in because we're doing a lot of work with that with my my current client client and how they use teams um in very different ways and use kind of videos to uh, interact and engage. And um, we do some you know, stuff where people are in the office and online, but a lot of the information is also supported additionally. And I, I didn't really see that as the same thing. So that's got me dreaming up now kind of yeah. what what's possible when you take the fixed context of you know, it's, it's a bit like the old, um, exercise that some of you might have been done where it's like put the candle on the wall and it's in the Mm -hmm. cardboard tray and because it's in the cardboard tray Mm -hmm. you you don't see it i'll probably spoil it for anyone who's going to play that game (laughs) but the idea is that it's there so you should use it
1: i've got to tell you about the most uh, a really lovely piece of utilisation by a student on a on a a train he was actually the same director training recently um we got them to do some pre-work do a create a user guide to me user manual for me we set them some previous questions uh, some specific questions you know what what times of day do you like to work that kind of stuff and uh, I, the challenge option was to create a one minute video of your answers because these were people who never use video apart from they, they use video in meetings but not never record video anyway one of these guys um, got really creative, and instead of putting himself on the video camera, he created a video of an IKEA-style manual for him. Oh, oh that's nice. so cool! It, nice. it was it was called How to Use Your Johnny. Your, his name was Johnny, and something something like that. It was basically how how to, <laughs> to
0: use your Johnny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> most <right>. unfortunate, but <laughs> <laughs> The Americans are going, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he created this lovely um, user manual using these IKEA diagrams of and, and that kind of thing. And this, the, this is not a highly creative organisation. This is not a place where you expect people to come up with really brilliant and innovative ideas and, and spend their weekends creating silly videos. But people mm. do when, they, when it catches their attention and it brings joy. So, and, you know, if you've done clean work where you, you get people to draw things on post-it notes and the first time it was, but I can't draw. Mm-hmm. I remember being asked the first time in Wendy's trainings to draw stuff on sheets of A4 paper with piles of coloured pens. I'm going, I can't draw. I don't know how to make anything with this. Well, what we've, we're now giving people is a huge palette of multimedia tools. Their tips of their fingers, just on their phones, they can do amazing things. But yeah, so there's there's a sort of structure, there's a thing from clean about how constraint inspires creativity. that 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 phrase actually comes from the Twitter rules they used don't exist anymore those rules Uh but Twitter used to say constraint inspires creativity Uh one of the things I love about clean is how the constraint of the clean language questions inspires you to use them creatively um in and it, it frees up your mind to pay attention to the other person um Martin Burns wrote a really excellent, the late Martin, scary number. Of, and I, I, I find myself saying the late far too often at the moment. The late Martin Burns wrote a really excellent article in which he talked about um, how as an agile coach, being able to forget all the clever questions he might ask or all the advice he might give, push that out of his awareness and instead focus on the other person or the other people, and just ask another question. It was hugely mentally liberating.
2: Um, that
0: level of attention that you pay
1: someone else feels very different.
0: Mm. Is there any final things that you want to share with us, Judy, before we say goodbye to our viewers?
1: If you go to reesmccann.com, find the place where you can sign up for my link letter, which goes out every week to about four. Th- 4000 thereabouts people. It always includes some stuff about the world of clean language and stuff about the world of embodied cognition and stuff about the world of um, online and hybrid events. Um, it's always interesting. People email me and say it's the, the best link they get all week. So um, I recommend it.
0: Awesome. And well, make sure we put a link to that in the uh, description of this episode. So. Uh, it's nice to reconnect after some time away, and we're and so. But for now, it's goodbye. Yeah, remember you. to Bye.
2: subscribe. Thank you. Bye. Everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like
0: and subscribe. I always forget yeah. that bit. <laughs>